Hi, I'm Valerie, and I will be reading John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thank you, Valerie. Well, at this time, if there are any children ages four through first grade who want to head out to children's church, Carolyn's in the back, and uh, we'll take them onto a classroom, and then they'll come back in during our closing song. It's not quite the stampede it's been lately. <laughs> That's funny. Carolyn. Um, well, before we begin uh, with our sermon passage this morning, I want to slow down and and make some announcements. And so we have carved out time for this. So as as, as they go, several minutes don't feel like we don't have to. We've got time. We've got time. Um, And they're both good announcements, I think. I think. Um, I will say the announcements have nothing to do with COVID. (laughs) Nothing to do with elections. Nothing to do with racial tensions. And nothing to do with anything else that's been controversial in 2020. Um, I hope you don't feel them as controversial. They're just both good announcements about staff things here at our church. And I want to give time to them. And so we've put them here kind of just to sit before the sermon, make sure everybody was here. And so we could talk about them for a little bit. So the first one is for Ben Bechtel, who was preaching last week. He he has been running a great race at our church for, for five years. His five-year anniversary was in September, but, but especially for the last 18 months, and he's going to get some time to rest. Um, uh, he, he's certainly earned it. So if we go back to the summer of 2019, one of our uh, lead pastors transitioned away to another church, and in that transition, Ben's role changed, and he took on quite a bit more responsibility, including preaching and teaching, among other things, so that, that's part of what has been his race for the last 18 months as well. For four years, he's been going over to Philly. Um, now, not for the last nine months, but he's still been taking classes, um, graduate classes at an excellent school, and he's going to finish 
um, what's called the Masters in Divinity. That's a strange title. It's a Master in Divinity. But that's, that's the pastor's degree. That's what they call it. It's about 100 hours of graduate level coursework. So it's, it's a huge deal. And I think he's measuring it now, not in terms of months or weeks, but days. <laughs> uh, he graduates very soon. Um, so that's a, that's a big deal as well as Volker prayed a moment ago. Ben and Whitley are going to have their first child uh, here in a few weeks. And so for all those reasons, uh, you're not going to see him around for a while, for the beginning of the, at least 2021, except at youth group. And uh, he's still going to go to that. But he, otherwise, he's going to take a break for several weeks. I think that's a good thing. Like if you train for a marathon, you run a marathon, maybe some of you have done that. If you start training again the day after the marathon, you get injured, right? You train hard, you go hard, you rest. And, and that's, that's a good rhythm, and so we're excited for that. Now, related to Ben's time of rest, when he comes back, he's going to have a different job title. Now, he knows that. That would be very strange, right? <laughs> Big, you know, I leave for one week, I get, and I come back, and he changed my title. No, he's been talking about this for months, okay? Uh, we just haven't been talking about it here. There's been a lot of other things to talk about. And so now we're doing it here. Now we're doing it now. Um, his job title has been associate pastor of youth ministry and music. It's going to change to associate pastor of outreach and music. So music stays, youth ministry and, and outreach change. So outreach, so refugee, refugee immigrant ministry, uh, deacon, deaconess ministry, evangelism, outreach. We've got David here doing connections internally, which is wonderful for the last six months. And, and we've got to be thinking, okay, like what about people out there and how do they come in and how do we bless them with the knowledge of Jesus? Like I want him to be thinking and dreaming about that. In fact, he already is. And so I think that will be a great thing. Um, but if you're listening carefully, you go, okay, well, if that changes, then what happens with those who are from sixth grade through college age? What happens there? Now, what I'm about to say, I think, is good news. I, I really think it is, but I know for those of us that hear any form of change is like, whoa, right? Uh, this is going to feel maybe the way it, it, I hope it doesn't feel. But so just hear me out for a bit. Um, starting this winter, Lord willing, we're going to be hiring a new and full-time director of student ministries and communications. So that's where the youth piece will go, along with tagging with it some communications. So in last year's budget, so a lot of details here, but in last year's budget, so December, we voted on as a church membership and approved a church budget that would in this year have money not only for the connections pastor who we did hire, but a part-time director of student ministries that we did not hire. So, like, we had a budget that approved the money for it, and we actually have the money to be doing it. We just never made that higher. And you say, well, why? <laughs> right? Like, it, it was a strange year. There was a global pandemic. And so, the plan was to hire the associate pastor of Connections, get to the summer, make a hire of uh, a student ministries part-time, and roll that in in the fall. And for all the reasons that are probably obvious to you, we just paused. But we got to the summer and we started looking around going, people are still here. People are still giving. In fact, it looks in a strange way like we're growing. So we started revisiting that conversation that we thought we might have to delay till later. And as we did, we just informally began asking a few people that might fit that possibility for a student ministries director. And the feedback we got unanimously was, well, that sounds great, perhaps, but I'd love to have it full time. And that makes sense. You've got, you got 40 hours over here. You're going to add 20 hours over here. Even for the person who really is motivated, that's going to be a tough 
road to go for the long haul, right? So we were hearing that. And additionally, uh, as even as early as last winter, when we threw out the idea of a part-time student ministries director, we heard from a number of parents say, yeah, but can it be full-time? Can it be full-time? Can we get it full-time? And, and I get that. Like, that, that makes sense to me. So all of that added up to the decision to approach the finance team and say, could we take that part-time and make it full-time? And the answer came back, yes, which also makes sense to me. Like, I know there's been a pandemic, but our church has grown, and many of the kind of the category it's most grown in, in a way, is families of student, those who would be in student ministries. And if you look at the size of the youth or the, the children who are almost, like the, the stampede that has been leaving here at the start of second service, um, they're all not far away from youth groups, some of them. Uh, it will just as quickly as next summer. So, let me tell you in concrete terms why I think this is a good thing. Um, whoever has been doing student ministries here for the last eight years, and it's been two different people, um, has only been doing it, on average, about 25% of their job. Now, you go away for a youth week, you work 80 hours, right? It's a crazy week. But in general, this is 10 hours of someone's job. So sometimes seven, sometimes 15, but, but only they've been doing it part-time in their full-time job. And as we wrote the job description, we changed that to look more like 30 hours a week of discipling the young men and women of our church, going to sporting events, having people over to the house, um, of course, having youth group, training, leadership, disciple, Bible, meeting, all of that. Now, it's hard during COVID, but we're planning for the long haul. We think that's a good thing. We think that's a good thing. We think youth ministry could begin to thrive in ways that it never could have before, not because the right people weren't doing it, because we didn't give them enough time. And so if you're like me, and and some of you are, and you appreciate the way our church currently does youth group, so this mixture of fun and games and activity and music, but also this healthy dose of Bible and gospel and apologetics and outreach and training up and small group, if you like that mix, we, we just hope that continues and only thrives more so in 2021. Now, I'd love to tell you who we're hiring. <laughs> and I hope to do that next week. Um, <laughs> what I want to say is the person we're talking with is currently talking with their employer. And we really like this person, and we really like this person's employer. And you know transitions, like if you ever made one, you just you need that to go well. For the person, for the organization, for our organization. So we want that to go well. So we're going to hold back, hopefully just a week, and let you know more later. So I hope you can appreciate that. I am not trying to do this Netflix cliffhanger um, where maybe they'll come back next week. I hope you come back next week. But like, not for this reason. Um, But that's just the way it has to be. And so if I just for a moment here at the end of the announcement, announcements, if I just took off my lead pastor hat and and just spoke to you as a dad, like I've got kids in the youth group right now and I've got more that are coming up. Um, I would just say um, as much as I love Ben doing youth group, um, and I do, and that saddens me that he won't be, although he'll be mentoring the person who is, um, and he'll continue to do it for the first part of January and February, et cetera. But, um, I'm excited about this. I know this person, and I think it's a good thing. And so I know, you, in a sense, you're just taking my word for it now, but just as a dad, I'm talking to you not as a pastor, Benjamin. I'm talking to you as a dad. Um, there's an excitement here for me.
So, I'm almost on page four of my sermon manuscript. <laughs> and I haven't done anything that resembles preach a sermon yet. But I just want you to know, there's only eight pages. So, so that, that's what we did this morning. I felt it was necessary. I've wanted to do this for a few months. We just haven't had the pieces in place yet. And now that we're voting on the budget and all this is coming to a head. And I wanted you to be in the know as much as I could. Feel free to come to town halls, to ask questions, to, to do whatever you can. Stopping short of naming person, I'm going to tell you everything I can and, uh, and be as helpful to you can as you're processing that information. So, to re-enter kind of a preaching mindset, I know it's been like eight minutes since we read the scripture passage. Would you join me in prayer one more time and then we'll turn our attention to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's normal for me and for many others to hear change uh, as unsettling. And this year, whether we wanted it or not, it's here and it, there was change. And it, it's not without good things that have come, but it, it's been unsettling. And yet, I want to think about Isaiah, the passage we read at the beginning of worship service, that there's a kingdom that's growing, a light that's growing. Lord, as we read and think more deeply about that light and that kingdom and that life and that hope and that gospel promise in the person of Jesus, I pray that you would be a rock underneath our feet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week marked the beginning of Advent. Advent, if you don't know, is this word that means coming and arrival. And it's the time when Christians throughout the world celebrate the coming of Jesus. And, and, and that's how we normally understand it, coming of Jesus as a baby. But, but there's often this threefold meaning of Advent that sometimes gets obscured. And this preaching season, we want to highlight that. The, there's the coming of Jesus as a baby. Um, the normal kind of Christmas story that we all celebrate. There's the coming of Jesus into our hearts by faith. And then there's the coming of Jesus again at the end of time. And so in our preaching series through just December, we've got a series of what we're calling Emmanuel, how God gives us himself. Emmanuel is this Hebrew word that shows up from time to time in the Bible, just as like we don't translate, we just write Emmanuel. It means God with us. And when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we're singing, God, come be with us. And so each week in this series, we're, we're taking a passage that, that speaks to each aspect of Advent. So last week, Ben was in Matthew chapter 1, and the genealogy and the Old Testament hope of the promise of a Savior that rolls into the birth of the Messiah. And, and that theme of a baby, um, God dwelling among us. We're going to continue this morning. Next week, David, Lord willing, is going to be taking up that second theme of Advent of God coming to dwell with us, each personally, through the person of the Holy Spirit. And then the week before Christmas Eve, December 20th, I'm going to be preaching from the very end of the Bible about God's second coming and the hope that's all rolled up into that at Christmas. Now John chapter 1. We heard it read a few moments ago. Perhaps as you listened to the passage, you had trouble keeping up. Not because Valerie read it poorly, she read it beautifully. But 
There's so many ideas tossed around in those short 18 verses. I mean, the language is simple. There's no difficult words like the genealogy last week. All those hard names. There's none of that this week. The words are simple, but, but the meaning of those words, they're, they're complex, they're rich, and I'll even say they're jumbled. We read of beginnings and the word of God being with God. In fact, the word being God himself. We read of light and life, received, believe, grace and truth, word becoming flesh, grace upon grace, and, and, and so much more. If someone gave me a piece of writing with John chapter 1 verses 1 to 18 on it and just said, here, look what I wrote. Um, It's possible I would look at it and say, you should just pick one metaphor (laughs) and stay with it for a while and then change metaphors and stay with that one for a while. Um, But God knew what he was doing, inspiring John the disciple, John the evangelist, John the apostle he's sometimes called, John the author of the gospel of John to do what he did. And I think if John were here, we could just say, hey, John, why'd you, stuff your, why'd you stuff chapter one so full? I think he'd nod his head and just say, stay with me. Stay with me. And, and he'd say that because he then has 21 chapters to unpack all of that imagery that he drops on us in the first few verses. I, I'll put it like this. A few years ago, my wife and I, um, we went on a Segway tour. I don't know if you know what a Segway is. It's that like, scooter-looking thing, but the wheels are on the side. and They're often in airports, the police officers are, right? <laughs> I know the police officers feel so tough, and then they're on a Segway. You're going to get a bad guy on that one of those. Come back, come back here. Uh, but, but there are these wheels, and um, like, <laughs> it's like the, I've been preaching, I was preaching this at five in the morning. I'm getting slap happy now. Um, but anyway, you got this segue, and like it, there's a gyroscope inside, and like however you lean, that's how it goes. And the further you lean forward, the wheels compensate for speed, right? So you lean way forward, like it starts going fast. I feel like as I read John chapter one, John has taken his se- like and just leaned so far forward, and he's done that because he's going to take us on a tour, but then he's going to come back around much slower. Now he comes back around for twenty minutes. We're, we're not doing that this morning. We're just here in these first 18 verses. So, so what do we do with that? Well, what I think is that even here in these verses, just a little bit of time that we have left, we're going to look at a few of them. There's a lot here that we can adore about Jesus. First, we can adore that Jesus, we adore Jesus because he was no mere man. Let me read verses 1 to 3 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Excuse me, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, this Word, this Jesus, this Savior, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was and is God, not a mere man. We see that contrast highlighted explicitly in verses 6, 7, and 8, which I'll read again. There was a man sent from God, verse 6. So there's the word, and then there's a man whose name was John. Now, just clarity here, he's going to talk about John the Baptist. There's a couple of Johns, like we have two Bens on staff. 
One was preaching last week, I'm preaching this week. There's two Johns. John who wrote this, John the Baptist, who comes in the scene here next in John's gospel and starts preaching. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So in other words, John the author is saying there was one who is the light, the word, who was and is God. And then in contrast, there's a man. And this man's sent from God. And he, the author, goes out of his way to highlight this man's not the light. He's a witness. He's a reflector. It's, it's, it's like saying there's the moon and there's the sun. The moon looks bright, but it ain't the light. And any light or heat or life that comes from the moon, it really comes from the sun. That's the first thing to notice about Jesus, that we adore him because he is no mere man. We also adore Jesus because the light and the life are powerful. Read verse 5 again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I just love that Volker brought the, the candles for Advent, and, and in Christian history, that's, that's a, a thing we haven't normally done. I love it. I don't know if you can bring them back every week. They can go right there if you do. But I wrote this before I even saw the, he put the candles here, but, but, but this picture of light in the darkness, and the dark's not overcoming, it's like there's this candle light, and someone, it's an itty-bitty candle, but <clears throat> it's giving off light, and you come to like smother it with a blanket, put out the candle, and yet this, this candle, this candle, the Jesus who is that candle, it like catches the blanket on fire. And it's just, you can't overcome this little bitty candle. It's just going to keep getting bigger. Which, if you come back on Christmas Eve and we light candles and sing, Oh, holy night. That's what that symbolizes. This light of Christ going out in the world. John chapter 1 verse 5. We adore Jesus because his light and life are powerful. We adore Jesus because his grace is free. John introduces us to the theme of believing and receiving and what, Christians call the new birth. This, this, we be, get birthed into the family of God. We become children. I'll read verses 11, 12, and 13 again. John writes, He came to his own. Jesus came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. I think meaning the Jewish people. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, God undertakes something special in the life of the believer. I've been looking at verse 11 for years. And to me, it's always been just one of the most sad verses in all of the Bible. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. You know, once stood in the airport, uh, Tucson International Airport, um, waiting for a soldier named Jason to come home from Iraq. And my son and I went to greet him. And uh, Jason, I'm sure, wanted to see me. <laughs> uh, but he was not there to mainly see me. Uh, Jason coming home to see his family. I'd known Jason from, from church. We kind of discipled him. We'd read Bible together. Our family had sent him care packages while he was deployed and he was coming to his own family. 
And uh, we, we, I remember standing there at the base of kind of the, the lobby. And as he starts to come down the escalator in his fatigues, like the airport just erupts with, with joy. And there's hugs and there's tears. And he's there with his family, with his wife, and his son who was born while he was deployed. Jason came to his own and his own received him. Here in verse 11, we read the pre-existing, in fact, the ever-existing creator of the world comes to the world and he's not greeted. He's ignored by some and mocked by others. Perhaps, perhaps that's you. Perhaps you're here this morning. I don't know everybody that's here. Perhaps your life has been one of ignoring or perhaps mocking Jesus. I just want you to know, that could change this morning like that. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That's a wonderful Christmas Advent promise. What it's saying is you don't have to have the perfect religious spiritual pedigree. To know Jesus. Like you could be the son of a pagan father. And the grandson of a Jewish father. And the great grandson of a Muslim. And the great great grandson of of an atheist. And that would be a crazy spiritual whiplash tree, right? (laughs) Like to be a part of that family. Uh, But but that could be your heritage. And you could know Jesus. If you receive him, that's, that's grace upon grace. That's what this passage is talking about. So we adore Jesus because his grace is free. Finally, we adore Jesus because of his proximity and his perfect representation of the Father. Read verse 14 and I'll skip to 18 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has seen God, the only God. Like no one's seen God in his full essence, the radiance of his glory. He was at the Father's side. He has made him known. Earlier I said Jesus wasn't a mere man, but he did become a man. He added humanity to his divinity. We, theologians call him the God-man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word for dwell is the word for tent. Jesus took on flesh and blood and and pitched his tent among us. Not a castle, not a palace that he deserves, but just just a tent, just just there with with his troops, with his people. And if you've seen him, John tells us, you've seen God. You know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Well, that's the quick tour of who Jesus is, I think, and why we should adore him. And I think what the Apostle John just takes 21 more chapters to fill out all of those themes. I wonder as we close, we're not closing yet, but we're getting there. I wonder if all of that sounds interesting. But why does adoring matter? Like, why do we need to adore Jesus? What does that, does that matter? feels inefficient. What does that matter? That's a good question. Try and end talking about that just for a few minutes. A few weeks ago, I read to you from, I don't know if you were here or not, but I read to you from one of my favorite books about pastoral ministry. It's from 
Um, it's called The Imperfect Pastor by Zach S. Wine. I read a few pages of that book, and that was about generally pastoral ministry. I want to read to you again. I don't know if I'm going to make this a habit, but I'm going to read to you again. Favorite book, two pages, on not just all of pastoral ministry, but my favorite book on preaching, specific part of pastoral ministry. The book is called The Supremacy of God in Preaching. So I just happen to have it here. And... Uh, it's written by a longtime author and pastor, John Piper. Now, the version I had been reading, I've read it way more than five times, uh, was not this latest, um, newest edition. The, the original book's 30 years old. I think I had the second edition. But I think what he talks about in the first two pages of this book relate to what John's doing in his gospel. So I want to read that now, and then we'll close. The book begins, people are starving for the greatness of God. But most of them, most most of us, would not give this diagnosis of our troubled lives. The majesty of God is an unknown cure. There are far more popular prescriptions on the market. But the benefit of any other remedy is brief and shallow. Preaching that does not have the aroma of God's greatness may entertain for a season, but it will not touch the hidden cry of the soul, show me thy glory. There's this cry in our hearts to see and know true glory, lasting glory, transcendence and beauty. We have that bubbling up within us and we need preaching that scratches that itch. I took this book and I just... Me, David, Ben, we were praying before the sermons a few weeks ago. I just brought this in, read that opening chapter. We prayed that way a few ways, or a few weeks ago before the Sunday morning early. The author continues. Years ago during the January prayer week at our church, I decided to preach on the holiness of God from Isaiah 6. I resolved on the first Sunday of the year to unfold the vision of God's holiness found in the first four verses of that chapter. It's kind of a classic passage. And he puts the Isaiah 4, 1 to, or 6, 1 to 4 in the book here. And I'll read. Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah speaking of himself, that King Uzziah was a king at the time, 750 BC. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, it it filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, these angelic beings. Each had six wings. With with two he covered his face, not even willing to look upon the Lord. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah writes, and the foundations of the threshold, the doorway of the temple shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. That's, that's the vision Isaiah is given. So the author writes, so I preached on the holiness of God and did my best to display the majesty and glory of such a great and holy God. I gave not one word of application to the lives of our people. It's not a parenthesis, but it's sort of like a parenthesis. He says, application is essential in the normal course of preaching. But I felt led that day to make a test 
Would the passionate portrayal of the greatness of God in and of itself meet the needs of the people? I didn't realize that not long before this Sunday, speaking of the day he preached Isaiah 6, one of the young families of our church discovered that their child was being sexually abused by a close relative. It was incredibly traumatic. They were there that Sunday morning and sat under the message. I wonder how many advisors to us preachers, pastors today, would have said, Pastor Piper, you, you can't, can't you see your people are hurting? Can't you come down out of the heavens and get practical? Don't you realize what kind of people sit in front of you on Sunday? Some weeks later, I learned the story, he writes. The husband took me aside one Sunday after a service. John, Pastor John, these have been the hardest months of our lives. Do you know what has given, gotten me strength, getting me through? The vision of the greatness of God's holiness that you gave the first week in January. It's been the rock we could stand on. Final paragraph. The greatness of the glory of God are relevant. It does not matter if surveys turn up a list of perceived needs that does not include the supreme greatness of the sovereign God of grace. That is the deepest need. Our people are starving for God. I don't know whether you believe him or not, but it has, for me, been this fundamental passage and book about what preaching is. We sang a few moments ago about adoring Jesus. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. What I want to say to you is that adoring Jesus on Sunday morning is practical for Monday morning. And I'll just mention one way of knowing the power and the life and the light and the grace of Jesus on Sunday matters for Monday. Adoring Jesus on Sunday helps you know on Monday that you don't have to be the savior of Christmas. You don't have to fix everyone's problems. You don't have to pull, up, pull off the perfect holiday event. You don't have to figure out how to manage all of the COVID details. You don't have to give the perfect present that's just going to make him, her, her, or whoever, like feel so happy. All you have to do is point to Jesus, the one you enjoy, and enjoy him yourself. That's it. In verse 6 and 8, we read, There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. He was not the light, became witness about the light. John the Baptist was great. Jesus says later in the Gospels, no one born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist because of his preparatory work in preparing the people for the Messiah. And yet, he was a man. In John chapter 1, verse 20, so just right after our passage, people come to John and he starts preaching and they say, who are you? And you know what he says? He says, I'm not the Christ. That's his line. Adoring Jesus as the Christ on Sunday helps you not try to be him on Monday. This week, I ran out of gas. Which I wish were just a metaphor. My car actually ran out of gas. <laughs> um, I was on my way to work, and, and I thought I uh, had enough gas to go to the post office. Then, 
uh, the gas station then to work. Apparently, I needed to change that order. Um, I felt like I was 17 years old again. I was like, oh, I make the call of shame. Sweetie, will you come bring me some gas? Which precedes the filling of shame. Where you stand there and the car is, is, is close to your house. <laughs> oh, but he, Carl doesn't drive by. And, <laughs> and uh, others were driving by. No one, no one laughed, but yes, there's a grown man filling his car with gas. Um, I suspect some of you are not literally out of gas, but metaphorically out of gas. This morning, I want to give you the encouragement. You are not the Christ, but you can know the one who is because of the first advent, because he delights to draw near. I'm going to pray, invite the worship team to come back up and lead us in two more songs. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray that we would receive it as good news that we are not the Christ and that there is one who is. As the Bible says sometimes of him, the one who was and is and is to come. And he is full of grace and truth. Lord, I pray that you would pour that grace and truth into our lives this morning. Fill us with joy as we sing songs of praise. In Jesus' name we pray.